church. Wow. I love to see videos of life change. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. I feel like I could sit down now because Rob just preached the entire gospel in that video. So um, how exciting, right? When Jesus changes lives. Amen. Well, I am honored to be here and I'm excited to be here. I feel way out of my element because most of my target audience is uh, four foot tall and under. Um, and they have sticky little faces and grimy little hands and they're the best people to hang out with. But this is good too. Um, so thank you for allowing me to be here. I really, really appreciate it. Pastor Randy and Pastor Tom, thank you for the privilege of being able to preach the word today. Um, how many of you uh, have been married for a significant amount of time? Anybody? Yeah, probably a bunch of people in the room, right? So my husband, my husband's over here uh, in the far right. There he is. Um, we've been married for 30 years, which I know is crazy because I'm 29, right? It makes no sense. But when you've been married a significant amount of time, um, things start to come to the surface that maybe you didn't notice about each other before, right? And uh, so uh, he gave me permission to share this story, just so you know. I've learned over the years not to share stories about my family without asking first. So uh, last week, actually, we had a major disagreement over something very important, two very important things, lights and laundry detergent bottles. Super significant, right? So here's the deal. My husband has become the type of person that wants every light in the house turned off. Is there anybody else? And yeah, okay. So that is who my husband has become. I, on the other hand, say, let there be light. And so I want lights on in the house. And so I turn them on, he turns them off. I turn them on, he turns them off. And so that became a little bit of a ridiculous conflict at about 9.30 at night when we were both tired and shouldn't have been talking to each other at all. The second conflict came, conflict came over laundry detergent bottles. You see, I think it's important to get every single last drop out of that expensive laundry detergent bottle. Therefore, I turn it upside down in a plastic basket on top of my dryer. On my dryer right now, there are about 16,000 laundry detergent bottles because none of them are completely empty in my mind. But here's the problem. He should know which ones are empty and take them right out to recycling so I don't have to, right? So we had this ridiculous two-day conflict over lights and laundry detergent bottles. And I would, gather, I would, I would uh, be bold enough to say today that some of you in this room have had disagreements with others over things as insignificant as lights and laundry detergent bottles. Um, and so we're going to go into God's Word today, and we're going to learn how to find common ground in God's Word when we disagree with each other. Because what happens is we hold each other to these uncommunicated, very high standards, right? And my standards are here, and your standards are here. And when you don't come up to my standards, you've failed. Or when I don't meet your standards, I failed. So we're going to see what God's word has to say about this because we know that there's nothing new, right? There's nothing new, just new context, new environment, new relationships. And so we're going to see what God's word has to say because we believe that the word of God is the final authority on how we lead our, our, live our lives, right? The final authority. 
not our opinion, not our viewpoint, not social media. The final authority is God's word. So when we go to God's word, when I go to God's word in kids' church, and every now and then, Pastor Lisa, the kids' pastor, is going to show up, and I might even go, friends, friends, and then you go, yes, Pastor Lisa, but you don't have to do that. Um, So when we go to God's word, I like to pray to remind us that the Holy Spirit breathed the scriptures. And so when we invite him, when we open God's word, he speaks to us. So let's go to him right now. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this rich, powerful, incredible word that you've given us. We thank you that in this word, we see Jesus on every page. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. You're already here, but we invite you to shine a light on your word as I uh, brokenly and, uh, and, and probably very humanly deliver it. Holy Spirit, you divinely speak through me. And I pray that you would shine a light on our hearts and show us what we need to do out of today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's text is going to bring us uh, to a situation there were, where there were people aligning themselves with their ideas and their standards. Um, we're looking at the church in Corinthians, and this church was at a crossroads. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about this church. It was situated in a sea town, so there were different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different religions converging in this area, and then people were dispersing out. So first of all, it was a great place for a church to be. But because of that, there were differences. There were societal norms that were being looked at, backgrounds, uh, religions, ethnicities. And Paul had been asked to bring some clarity to these people to help them sort out some differences. Um, so we're uh, going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I'm in the New Living Translation right now. So after he greeted them in verse 1 and he laid a little groundwork for his teaching, this is what he says. And I'm going to, my glasses are here. One moment. This is what happens when you've been married for 30 years. Dear brothers and sisters, when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message. For I decided to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Or in other words, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did so, so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. So the Corinthian church was divided. They had come from different backgrounds. There were different ethnicities, different religions. You had wealthy and poor people in the same church. You had Jew and Greek. You had all different professions. And they were trying to work together while they were trying to convince each other of their viewpoint. Have you ever tried to work with someone while you're trying to convince them that your way is the best way? I'm not bossy, I just know the best way. So that was kind of what was going on. And some of the things that they were arguing about needed to be addressed. They were issues of sin, they were issues of incorrect teaching, and Paul was planning to do that. But he does something first. He wants to bring them to one place, the place that I'm calling today the common denominator. Now, a long time ago, when I was very smart, I used to be a math geek. Um, You know you lose brain cells after you've been married for 30 years, right? So I used to be a little bit of a math geek, and I loved math. 
until I took calculus, and then I changed my mind and decided that I did not want to go into anything math-related. But something happens in math, a very simple concept called um, fractions, right? Fractions, and they're portions of things, a half, a three-quarters, three-eighths, and when we work with fractions, before we can do anything with them, we need to reduce them down to the simplest form, and to do that, we have to find the common denominator. That's been your math lesson for today. That's about all I've got for you. But we have to find the common denominator. But this term common denominator actually means something else usually when we talk about it. It means um, a common trait or a common theme. So this is what Paul is going to after he greets them, after he says, I'm writing this letter to clear up some things, before he dives into the problems and the differences, he starts to remind them of the first time that he had been there. Now, Paul started the Corinthian church on his second missionary journey. And if you want to dive into that history, it's really fun. He was beaten. He was jailed. He was mocked. He was dragged. He was treated very poorly. And so he went from town to town, and um, some things went well, and some things didn't go well. And when he got to Corinth, and he began to plant this church, this was on the heels of all of this difficulty. And so he started this church intentionally because he knew that where it was, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be dispersed. He, he was strategic about that. Um, and he continued to do that. But when he wrote this letter, it was about three or four years after this journey, he reminds them what it was like for them. So in chapter two, he says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom. I didn't argue with you. I didn't try to bring you around to my point of view to tell you God's secret plan. And then he moves on and he says, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. He chose a common denominator. He had chosen a common denominator when he first went to Corinth, and he goes back to that common denominator in the middle of controversy, in the middle of division. And he remembers that time when he had been beaten and mocked and mistreated, and when he chose to look at these people through the lens of the cross. And he says, while this is going on, I want to remind you about that. I want to bring you back to that moment. And so even though the Corinthians were holding each other to these standards, uh, some of which were biblical, some of which were not, some of which were according to the word, and some of which were cultural or background related, he says, hey, there's a common denominator here, Christ, the one who died for us. So today's environment doesn't seem to be much different, does it? Because we know there's nothing new, right? Uh, our backgrounds, our preferences, our uh, birthplace, our profession, our family, our education, our lights, our laundry detergent bottles, those can become standards that we hold ourselves and others to, and maybe to the point of exclusion, maybe to the point of difficult arguments, maybe even to the point of broken relationships. And so we hold each other to impossible standards. Standards that we hold ourselves to that may not even be, be fair. And so how in today's environment can we look at this text and make it work? So let's apply this to me and to you. 
Um, so the first thing I want to say about the common denominator is the common denominator of the cross of Christ includes. Includes. See, exclusion, the opposite of inclusion, is leaving someone out. Um, and it happens easily when we kind of group our views and our standards together with those who think the same way that we do right? We can do that. Um, it can be our upbringing, our background. It can be our politics. It can be our view on education or careers or child rearing or marriage, things that may be extra biblical. Um, and when we don't see eye to eye with someone, when they don't live up to our standards, then we have the temptation to take the easiest path and leave them out of relationship with us or leave them out in general. And we can be guilty of that as believers because the more exclusive we become, the more we align ourselves with those who are like-minded, the more we forget about the people that we're supposed to be about. We begin to build these private kingdoms and forget what we're supposed to do because Jesus was pretty clear about it. So I'm going to go back to the word, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Many of you have memorized the scripture, but I'm going to read it in a different version just to mess us all up. So in the New Living Translation, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's pretty clear, right? And that's hard to do when we're super concerned about aligning ourselves only with those who look at life the same way, isn't it? It's hard to do. We tend to exclude the very people that we were meant to love, the people we were meant to reach out to, the people we were meant to disciple. And because there were groups of people forming in the Corinthian church that were uh, based on their behavior or their background, there was exclusion going on of each other. And so Paul speaks to that. Um, and he addressed the concerns that he had for the church. He addressed the sin and the improper teaching and the behavior later. Because that had to be done, right? That has to be done. But before he did that, before he talked about repentance and tough love and brought them back in a, into alignment um, with Scripture, first, he included all of them. And he reminded them that they all had commonality in the cross because Christ had died for each and every one of them. And he has died for each and every one of us. First Corinthians chapter 1, just before that, verses 24 to 25. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Now, the more concerning thing that can happen with exclusion is not just excluding each other. Of course, it's excluding the people that we were meant for, the people that we were redeemed to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to. You see, Christ did something for us. He sacrificed his life for us. Uh, Pastor Tom said last week, he came to pay the price so that we can have something better. And he did this for all mankind. Nobody is excluded by him. Nobody. He died for each all, us all. And it's not based on standards. That's based on sacrifice, right? So his focus is on drawing in the one who is lost and bringing the lost back to him to, within, to include them in his great plan. And we get to play, play a little part in that. 
a tiny little part. All around us are the people that he has strategically placed in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our families, at our workplaces, in our social groups, in our schools. We have opportunity because he has strategically placed us in the paths of people so that Christ can include them in his great plan. So when we work together toward the common goal of that, then we can't exclude each other, right? We can't. Because the common denominator unites. Paul actually started this book with an encouragement to the Corinthian church because there were factions in the church. There was division. There was stuff going on. And there were people aligning themselves with different leaders, different ideas. And Paul addresses this really early on. In the chapter before, chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. You see, the church had some stuff to figure out. We do that all the time, right? We have stuff that we need to figure out. And sometimes we don't see eye to eye with each other on things that are important to us, things that are passionate in our hearts, things that we feel very strongly about. And our standards may clash with someone else's. And so Paul was going to address some stuff, stuff that had to be addressed. I'm not talking about those things. I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about things that go against the word of God. But before he did that, he reminded them of this thing. He reminded them of unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 30 and 31, it says this. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. God made us, Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. At, at this point, like, that's it. I could just sit down, right? Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. God has united you with Christ Jesus. In other words, your identity is Jesus Christ. Once we make the decision, once we make the decision to give our hearts and lives to Jesus and to follow him, the spirit of the living God comes and he lives inside of us and he changes our identity. We are no longer identified by our background. We are no longer identified by our profession. We are no longer identified by our viewpoints. We are identified by him. Our identity is Christ. And because his purpose is to include, and because his purpose is to unify, then that should be our purpose too, right? Because that is exactly what his plan is. Now again, I want to say that when we have matters of known sin, when we have matters of things that go against the word of God, those are not the things that I'm talking about, right? Those things have to be addressed, and we have to have common ground in that. Uh, James said, remember, it's sin to know what, what you ought to do and then not do it. And Jesus said, it is the same way. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So I'm not talking about disagreeing over those things. What I am talking about is things that are going on right now that I could talk about that I'm not going to talk about, right? There are things that are going on right now uh, that are hot-button issues, and they're turning people against one another because they don't see eye to eye. 
What I think is important in this text is that Paul is well aware in the climate of that church that there were hot button topics. People weren't seeing eye to eye. And he brings them back to the cross. He points them all to their identity in Jesus Christ. We cannot allow our views and our standards to become our identity. We cannot allow our standards, our viewpoints, to be our identity. Our identity is Christ. Our identity is Christ. Are we going to disagree? Absolutely. Are we going to have conflict? I detest conflict. But I will tell you, conflict is often necessary to make us better, to move us forward, to get us from one place to another, right? So we're going to have conflict. But in those disagreements, in those differing viewpoints, in those conflicts, we need to move away from division and distraction that takes us away from the mission that we're called to and move toward unity. Because when we are unified in our purpose of winning the loss for Jesus Christ, and making disciples. We don't have room to be distracted. We don't have room for anything to take away from that. We have to be laser focused on the vision of Jesus Christ and moving his mission of reaching the lost for Christ. Here at Word of Life, we believe that lost people matter to God and then they should matter to us. Or as Pastor Randy likes to say, and I quoted you, Pastor Randy, I hope that's okay. We are called by God to reach people who are far from God. Anything else is white noise. Anything else is white noise. We are unified by our our identity in Christ and because he wants the lost to be included. So, if we've been distracted from this mission by our standards, our viewpoints, things that divide us, we can look to Christ to unite us. And we can look to him to fix those relationships that might have gotten plowed over, right? I would submit to you that that's happened a lot, right? It happens. And so let's look to the common denominator of Christ who restores. I have a dresser in my bedroom. It's from my childhood. It actually belonged to my family. And when I was a little girl, it got moved into my room and it got painted a whole bunch of times. I think it ended up being white. It was a beautiful dresser, but it was covered in paint and chips and all kinds of things. And early on in my marriage, I wanted that dresser in my house. So my husband went and got it from my parents, and he spent hours and hours and hours removing layers of paint and stain and whatever else was down there, sanding down to the finish, and then staining it so it looked the way that it was intended to look. Now, it would have been cheaper in the, in the idea of labor and time to just go buy a dresser, right? Throw that one out and get something new. But my husband restored it. He made it better than it was before. We have something that needs to be restored. You see, now I'm going to go into kids' pasture mode, so bear with, we, with me one minute. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful, beautiful garden. And in that garden... Everything was perfect. Everything. And there was a man and a woman in that garden, and they loved God, and every day they spent time with him. But something happened. That man and that woman chose to disobey God, and they sinned. Now, because God is holy, it's against his nature 
to be in the presence of sin. And their beautiful relationship with him was broken. But God is good, and he made a promise, and he said he would send a savior, someone to redeem them, someone to restore their relationship. See, God was here, and they were here as sinners, and someone was going to bridge that gap, and his name is Jesus. And he came one day as a baby, and he lived a sinless life, and one day, to fulfill God's plan, he died on a cross and stretched his arms out wide for you and for me. And he restored our relationship with God and made it better than it was before. Because the common denominator of Jesus Christ restores. He came to restore our brokenness, our spirits, our souls, and our relationship with God. The word tells us that this applies to every single one of us. Every one of us in this room. Christ died to restore your relationship with God. And we start, we start by coming to him. And allowing him to restore our relationship with him. And then he sends us to others who need their relationship with him restored too. We have the privilege and the honor of doing that. And in the middle, he restores our relationships with one another. He wants to make them better than they were before. We humble ourselves before him and he fixes our relationship with God by his sacrifice. Because he paid the cost of our sins. And we can trust him. We can trust him with our broken relationships. Now there may be a believer, friends, and I'm talking to the church right now. There may be a believer, someone you once loved. Someone you once broke bread with when we could break bread together. (laughs) Someone you once spent a bunch of time with. And because of a viewpoint or a standard of behavior... You no longer are in relationship with one another. God wants to restore. God wants to restore. He desires to restore our relationships so that we can be on mission together, laser-focused on the thing that he sacrificed his life to do, to win the lost and include them in relationship with him. You see, when he restores our relationship with each other, He adds one more and one more and one more and one more to an army marching forward. He can do so much more with many of us than with just one of us. So as I'm closing out today, I have a few action steps for you. And I believe, uh, this is a kids' ministry principle. Um, Normally, in kids' church, we would have response stations, coloring, maybe some Play-Doh. We'd be doing all kinds of things. I'm not doing any of that to you today. Be grateful. But I believe that when the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and we take some sort of physical action, that something happens in our brains and then happens in our intention, okay? So I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually take a step. Don't worry, you won't have to get out of your seat. Stay right where you are. You won't even have to talk to anybody. So because Christ includes, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to picture the person who is strategically placed in your life. The person who is far from God. The one that Christ died for, just as he died for you. It could be somebody you work with, someone who's in your school, someone who's in your circle, in your family. I want you to get laser focused on that person. Picture them right now. You got it? 
Got that person? Now, this is your step. Using your phone, your tablet, the piece of paper you're taking notes on, I don't care what it is. I'm giving you permission to take a step. This week, I am going to what? You could even send a text message right now to that person. Can we have coffee? You can go ahead and schedule an appointment on your calendar right now to reach out to that person. Who does Christ want to include in his family and use you to do it? Take a step right now. That's the first action step that you can take. Here's the next one. Because Christ unites the common denominator of Christ unites us. If you felt the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart when I was talking about broken relationships with believers, and if there's a relationship that can be restored to health, if there's a relationship that's not toxic or abusive, that's another conversation, but a relationship that should be restored to health with another believer, I'm giving you permission to take a step right now. Send a text message. I would love it if a whole bunch of text messages of restored relationships went back and forth while I'm closing this message. Put a note in your phone. Write it down. Schedule it in your, in your uh, calendar to take that step. Be the one who is the bridge, just as Christ is the bridge between us and the Father. Set aside our preferences. Set aside our viewpoints. Set aside our cause. And for me often, set aside my pride and take a step. And here's the last action step that we can take, and this is the most important, is to understand completely what restoration in Christ means. I explained that story of that beautiful garden, and I explained it pretty quickly, but the Holy Spirit's here, and he speaks way louder than I can. And if today you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to because you don't have that relationship with God because you don't know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you've heard it many, many times before, but you haven't taken that step, that step from God to you holding the hand of Jesus across the bridge. Maybe today is the day for you that your relationship with Christ is restored. Or maybe in this room there's somebody that you've served the Lord, you've followed him, he's been the Lord and leader of your life at one time, but today it's casual. Today it's not intentional. Today it doesn't even exist. We can take that step right now. We don't have to send a text. We don't have to write it down. We don't have to schedule it in our calendar because he's here, we're here, and we have a chance to agree together. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close our eyes because it removes distractions. And I'm the kids pastor, so I love to remove distractions. And we're going to bow our heads in reverence to him. And here's what I'm going to do. If that's you today, if you want that relationship with Jesus Christ, if you need to bring back that relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to start at my left and I'm going to look across and just catch my gaze. Nobody else looking around. I'm going to start over at my left. You're right. And I'm just looking around. Thank you. So glad for the hands. Thank you. Amen. Give one more moment. The Holy Spirit speaking to you today. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being transparent and vulnerable. I know it's difficult sometimes to be honest in a big group of people, but we're all here to support you and agree with you. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, if you wanna take this step, this is your opportunity to do it right here and now, but we're gonna do it with you. You don't have to do it alone. So we have this super simple prayer that we pray every week and we're going to pray it with you. So I believe it's gonna be up on the screen, but behind me, this is Pastor Tom's prayer, and uh, we're gonna pray it together. So I'll pray and you repeat after me. Here we go, everybody. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those who made that commitment today. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.